Well, I too greet each one of you this morning in Christ's worthy name. Welcome to the second part of our service, um, where we consider God's written word to us. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6, I'd like to continue here in our study in the Gospel of John. So the setting here, as we uh, looked at, I think it was two weeks ago, where we had uh, looked at uh, John chapter 6, beginning in verse 1 through verse 21, we had a number of miracles here that we looked at, especially uh, the one on the feeding of the 5,000 people. Actually, the 5,000 men, um, besides women and children, it says in a different passage, not here, but, and it is, as we noted, the only, the only um, miracle that was recorded in all four Gospels, uh, besides the miracle of the resurrection of Christ. Uh, So as we looked here, we, uh, we noted then that this is a setup for the rest of the chapter. That this miracle of the breaking of the bread, the five loaves and the two fish, were, a, were set up for the, the uh, discourse going into all the way back to verse 59. So... Uh, this morning, as we pick up the narrative and then go into the words of Christ, we'll start in verse 22. And if we remember, there was a storm the night after uh, the feeding of the 5,000 where the disciples were on the sea and there was a great wind blowing and uh, Christ came walking. And I, I, I kind of skimmed over that miracle the last, uh, the last time, because it is seemingly secondary to the narrative, but it's not secondary to uh, the disciples. I, I made an, I made note there that the that particular miracle uh, with the disciples was a very private miracle. It was not public. It was in the middle of the night. It was with his chosen twelve, and they were on the sea there uh, at his direction. They uh, had just come off a wonderful miracle, uh, seeing a wonderful miracle with Christ feeding 5,000 men plus women and children. And then it was such an exhilarating event that all these people were, were filled with a misplaced zeal and wanted to make Christ king. In a few other passages, it indicates that Jesus urged his disciples, strongly invited them to leave. Um, and I don't know, was this because they might have, they might have joined in? They might have also been a little carried away. 
uh, with the exuberance of the crowd. But uh, they uh, left the uh, multitude and uh, boarded a boat and began to cross the sea. And they were and just making a, a brief application here for, um, you know, how many times have we experienced this ourselves? And I think even Joe alluded to it this morning in, in our worship time uh, with Asa. Had a huge victory, had a wonderful time uh, experiencing the grace of God, the miracles and the power of, of the divine, uh, the divine power that was there. Uh, to deliver Asa and the children of Judah. But uh, it wasn't very long that they were being tested again. And we have that very same principle here in, um, in this passage. Where the disciples had this wonderful time, but they were in the middle of the sea, um, frightened. But Christ came to them. And I think that should be a lesson for all of us that you uh, have you been, do you find your, um, your trials to be from the hand of Christ by his direction? And if you do, he will be there with you. He will say, fear not, it is I. It is I. And they will uh, again rejoice in his fellowship. Then they willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. So that, had, uh, that was a private, I believe, a miracle just for the disciples of Christ. So uh, let's read here, beginning in verse 22 of John chapter 6. And we'll read through verse 40. That's not the end of the discourse, but it's obviously more probably than we can do justice anyway. So let's read. Let's hear God's word. On the following day, the day after this wonderful miracle of the bread, on the following day when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there, except that one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then? that we may see it and believe you. What work will you do? Isn't it a shame 
for that sort of response from just the same multitude that he had just fed a day prior. What sign will you perform that we may see it and believe? And, and the point is made here from this passage that seeing is not believing. It's not believing. Our fathers ate the manna in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Who does that remind you of? Doesn't that remind you of the Samaritan woman who said, when he talked about the living water, give, us, give me this water that I don't have to come here and draw. This is a very similar uh, response. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I, say to you, but I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Well, if you haven't read this portion of Scripture recently, it is a very beautiful passage that teaches, especially this latter portion of verse 37 through verse 40, just amazing, amazing statements made about our salvation. Um, so I preached out of this passage of Scripture at Bonnaroo, uh, 35 through 40, and, and uh, I, I was... So I, I preached it as, there I preached it as a, here is the bread of life. Here is, uh, if, you, if you would come to Jesus Christ, you would never hunger or thirst again. And, and if you go to a place like, like Bonnaroo, what, what it is, is a pursuit after something that is meaningful. Something that will satisfy, something that will... Uh, but, but isn't that true of all of us? We are all on this journey and we're all looking for meaning. We're all looking for what is, what is really meaningful in life. What is, what is going to satisfy my hunger? What is going to be my nourishment? What is going to be that which, which feeds me, which gives me life, which gives me purpose and direction and hope and, and, and all of these things. And so, as I was considering the difference in my audience, 
it just came to me that this audience here needs the bread of life just like that audience does. And whether it is you have partaken of the bread of life many years ago when you first came and you broke off and you ate of the Lord Jesus, as we read later here, unless you eat of the flesh of my body and the, my, drink my blood, you have no life in you. Maybe you have partaken of Christ many years ago. But listen, there's a reason why bread is used here. Many cultures over the world, bread is a staple food. It is a part of daily life. Sometimes that's all people had to eat is bread because they could, they could grow the grain and then they could, they could, make, um, they could make flour and, and, and meal out of it. And, and so it's a staple. And we remember that in Matthew 6, Jesus says, what does he say there in regards to bread? Give us this day our daily bread. And uh, so when we come today, as we consider this passage where Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am that which sustains you. I was convicted in my own heart, in my own life, that many times the reason we are anemic, the reason we struggle, the reason we are discouraged, maybe depressed, it's because we have not eaten of this daily bread. We have not reached out one more time. Even this morning, reached out for this bread that comes from heaven. So, uh, as we begin, as we work our way through this passage, we see that they, uh, this crowd, we don't know how many of the crowd that were fed um, we're here again, but we do see that when they finally did find him, in verse 59 it says, These things he said, to, said in a synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Uh, it's interesting that, that is, you know, he was no longer out in the country, no longer uh, in the wilderness, so to speak, but now he was in the synagogue, and this, this uh, dialogue, this teaching, about the bread of life was at the, at the synagogue in Capernaum. Uh, but we noticed that the people, uh, as we look at the narrative, that the people were enamored, were still enamored with finding Christ. They, um, you know, there, there's a few logistical issues here where uh, the people saw that there, were no, there was no other boat available and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples, so they they thought he was still on their side of the uh, of the Galilee of the Sea of Galilee, um, because they had not seen Jesus enter with the disciples. Rather, he had withdrawn away uh, on the mountain to pray. I believe it says, but um, other boats came from Tiberias. And near the place where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. A side note here, when John recalls 
the occasion of the 5,000, feeding of the 5,000, it says he, he makes note of after the Lord had given thanks. Uh, it, it seems like that was a big deal to him. It says, where they ate bread after the Lord had given thanks. But when the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, verse 24, nor his disciples, they, they assumed, rightly so, that Christ would, would not be long away from his disciples. And we, we can take an application even from that. But that, that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Now, that's a very interesting two words at the end of verse 24. They were seeking the Lord Jesus Christ. But when they found Him, they were very curious and they honored Him by calling Him teacher. But when did you come here? How did you get across the sea? Did you walk all night and get over here? Well, if you did, how did you get here before we did? And so it was a mystery to them about how Christ managed to be on that side of the sea before they were. And Jesus answered them not anything in regards to that. He did not answer their question directly. But I, rather, um, here, here I would like to just, as we, as we work our way down through this passage, I would like to point out that Jesus had an indictment against them here. Notice what he says. Most assuredly, or verily, verily, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs, not because you were interested in the revelation of this doctrine that I reveal about myself and my identity. No, you were not interested in me as a person, he says. It's very clear here that he says, you seek me because you got your belly full, because you ate of the loaves and were filled. You know, some people even today, they, they follow not for love, but for loaves. I say to you, you seek me. And this is, this is we can make an application right away. We can say, well, why are we here? Why are we here? Are we here seeking Christ because we have seen His signs? We have experienced His power? We have loved His doctrine? Or is it, is it as um, Matthew Henry says, is our religion, our religion should not aim at secular advantages in sacred exercises. That's... That's very true. Sometimes we, our motives are skewed, even in our seeking of Christ, and even in our endeavors to, as we come, to, come together and we gather, we, we pursue Christ, but for what purpose? For what purpose? Is it, is it a, isn't it an advantage to us physically? Well, let's be honest. There are many, there are passages, and I'll, I'll briefly show you a few of them that I think relate to this. In Romans 16, in verse 17 and 18, it says this way. Paul says, Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned, and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve 
our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by smooth words and flattering speech, deceive the hearts of the simple. And what you have here, you have somebody in the midst of the congregation who are not what they appear to be. They, they serve not the Lord Jesus Christ, but rather they serve their own gain in the assembly of the saints. You have a very similar passage in Philippians 3, where uh, he says in Philippians 3, in verse 17, Brethren, and again, here it, it takes the form of an exhortation. Just as it did in the Romans 16 passage, he says, Brethren, Philippians 3.17, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly or whose God is their appetite and whose glory is in their same. Who set their mind on earthly things which is the very difficulty that these people faced. They, they had their mind on earthly things. They were still enamored about having a king who could feed them just from a rock, so to speak, or from five loaves and two fishes. He could feed an army. You know, it was a, their, their mind was on earthly things. And you have... A similar passage also in Titus 1. Again, it's, it's, it's couched in the, in the language of, in church language, like in the midst of us. Notice what he says in, John, I mean, in Titus 1, in verse 10 and following, For there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, teaching things which they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. So we have, this is not the, this is not the only a uh, time where we have this sort of preoccupation. And Jesus says, you seek me because you ate and were filled. Not because the signs you saw revealed my identity and my doctrine. No, you're not following me for the, the fact that I am the Son of God and am, am teaching you about spiritual things. No, you follow me because you benefited physically. You benefited physically. And so his exhortation now comes to them in verse 27. He says to them, do not labor. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on him. Now we could spend probably a lot of time in, in, uh, in verse 27, but... This verse tells us that the Son of Man will give us a food, a, a meat, a, a substance that will endure to everlasting life. 
that it, it will, uh, it, He will provide a nourishment, a sustenance that will uh, endure past this earthly life all the way into an everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. And what we have here is a contrast between the word labor and the word give. You see, there's labor. If you look up the word labor in Greek, it simply means to, to labor, to toil at something, to be working at it. But Christ says the Son of Man will rather just simply gift to you this eternal life. And I, I believe he is saying here, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. I believe that he is saying that the, he will give us the food which gives us everlasting life, which is his own flesh, verse 51, where he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. And that's, that is, I, I'm getting ahead of myself there, but it, it really is a beautiful picture of what he says in 1 Corinthians 11 about the institution of the Lord's Supper, is it not? Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. It is broken for our sustenance, for our eternal life, for our righteousness, for our hope, for our eternal well-being. Truly, do not labor for food which perishes, but give attention to that which truly feeds you. We have a, we have a similar passage, a parallel passage, if you would, in Isaiah 55. And I'll, I'll read verses 1 through 3, and you will recognize this. Isaiah 55 and verse 1 says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, or pay attention, listen, behold, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. It's, it's for you to have. It's, it's yours for the taking. It is yours that I will gift to you. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? This is, this is the exhortation that Christ is giving in John, 15, John, in John 6, in verse 27. Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. And let your soul delight itself in abundance. You see, the... the Food that goes that leads to everlasting life. It, it's not, it's not barely enough. It, it's just like the five loaves and the two fishes that were over abundantly. It was in abundance. How many baskets did we have left over? Come to me and eat. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear. Isaiah fifty-five three says, and come to me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, 
the sure mercies of David. So his exhortation in verse 27 to these people who were enamored with the physical blessings of following him. And, and there are physical blessings to follow Christ. We know that. There are things that, that come our way because we've embraced his certain, at least certain elements of his law. It is a restraint in our lives. But listen, it is much more than that to come to Christ. It is to lean on Him entirely and to find Him to be our food which, which gives us everlasting life. And so, His exhortation in verse 27 is to set your affection on things above where Christ is. If you would, labor to believe. You know, and, and we'll see that in verse 40, that there is a human responsibility to this issue of salvation. That everyone whom the Father has given to the Son does something in verse 40 as well. And that is that he must see and believe. And so in verse 27, we have a foretaste of what is coming, and that is that you are not so preoccupied with laboring for perishable food. And we know we have to, don't we? We have to labor for perishable food. We, or, uh, we have clear direction that he who doesn't work should not eat. But what Christ is telling us here is that you should, first of all, have a priority about finding this Food that goes into eternal life, that does not perish. That is the exhortation that to, to set your affection. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life. And so, I know many of us, many of our young men are starting out in life. And this is a challenge. I struggle with this many for, for a number of years. But how do we, how do we um, bring the tensions together of doing God's will in the areas of, of church life, working, serving in the church, serving Christ, ministering to the gospel, ministering to the gospel, speaking to the lost, whatever. How do we reconcile that with the need over on this side of providing for our families you know it's a it's a real I, I used to especially struggle with that until it just became more clear to me that you've got to you've got to marry them you've got to bring them together you've got to be in your in your extras in your whatever realm of influence you have in your daily life you are doing this other as well you are not just laboring for the food which perishes, but you're also pursuing that food which goes to everlasting life. And you labor in that as well. So, we labor to believe. I think that is... We labor for the food. And we'll, let, let's move on. Then they said to him in verse 28, Well, what shall we do that we may work the works of God. And that, um, 
verse 28, this word work is the same word labor. It's a, you know, he's, he, he, he talked to them about working in verse 27. And then they asked, well, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? And I, I believe it's a very good question. I think we should all ask this question of ourselves. Well, what should we do? Well, here is Jesus' answer to them. He said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. Now, what that is teaching us, I believe, is that we are to pursue Christ. We are to pursue the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're to pursue to pursue His His agenda. We're to seek to find Him, and that's the exhortation that's given to us. <clears throat> seek while ye may while He may be found. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Truly, I think that is what He is saying here. This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He sent. Lay off all of your other things that you've been doing, so to speak, to win, to, to, to win affection with Christ, to, to appeal to His, to, to gain merit with Christ. Just, just, just stop for a moment and do not... Try to buy your salvation. Just simply pursue the one who is doing it for you. Who is working for you. And, and we see that here. And I've said this in the past, that salvation in Christ, basically, in, in the pursuit of justification, if, 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 if someone wants to be right with God, Christ's salvation puts us on unemployment, so to speak. We are completely unable to we are unable to work our way into a peace with God. But as soon as we are justified, then He, he will put us to work. But you cannot work your way in. And so this is, this is, I think, what he is saying here. This is the work of God, simply that you believe, that you put your trust in one who is doing it for you. In him whom he sent. But I, I want to comment back here on, in verse 27 again before we go too far here. And that is, he says, <clears throat> in his exhortation to them, he says, Pursue the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. And then, he, then he closes that verse with, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. And as we look further in, in uh, verses 37 through 40, there's an agreement between God the Father and God the Son. And in verse 27, we have a hint of that. Because God the Father has put His stamp of approval on Jesus Christ. He has, he has sealed Him for this work. He has sealed Him as His ambassador to man and as man's intercessor to Him, as a priest. But He, is, he has sealed the Son of Man. He has sealed the Son of Man for this work 
of redemption. Because God the Father has set His seal on Him. It is, this, is, this is very important for us to, to put our confidence in Jesus Christ. Because God the Father has put everything. In Colossians it says that in Him all the fullness should dwell. And so, he says, I will give you this bread, this food which endures to everlasting life because my Father in heaven has, has willed this to be. He has put His approval on me for this work. And He has set Him apart. He has appointed Him as the ambassador to redeem His people to Himself. This is His seal on Christ. Praise God that we have, we have Christ here. And, and we see this as we go on. In, for instance, I'll point ahead. In verse 38, he says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, you see, but the will of Him who sent me. That is the outflow of verse of God setting His seal on Him. Because Christ is not here on His own. He's not here on His own initiative. He is here by His Heavenly Father's direction. And herein is there's great confidence for the work then that He accomplishes. That indeed, that we will not put our trust in Christ and then find that, oh, He was not who He said He was. You see? If we put our trust in Him and we believe in Him, you will never, as Scripture says, be confounded. But rather you will find the approval of the Father which is in heaven. So He gives us this bread that endures to everlasting life. And then their question in verse 28 is, what shall we do? And then he says, well, just believe. Believe on the one whom God has sent. And then in verse 30, they kind of, it's kind of a retort. They said, they, they said, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe? What work will you do? You see, our fathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. It's almost like saying, okay, Moses showed us, you know, it's, it's, it's like this was, this was their attitude. Are you greater than Moses? You know, he led the people. And, and it's kind of like the, the, uh, the daughters of Israel when David came back from the wars with the Philistines. They said, David has has uh, killed his, or Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands. It's kind of the, this attitude is here in verse 30 and 31 is, you know, you have fed your thousands, but Moses, he fed hundreds of thousands. And he didn't just feed them one day. He fed them for 40 years. It's kind of the, the, the retort. What sign will you do that we should put our faith in you and put our trust in you? What sign will you perform then? And you see here that the sign which was accomplished the day prior, 
they had already uh, put it aside. They'd already, they, they obviously had not seen it for the power that it demonstrated. Our fathers ate the man in the desert as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, verse 32, Most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven. And Moses didn't give them the bread from heaven, did he? No, it was God the Father. It was, it was God who had given them the bread from heaven. But now Jesus is saying, but my Father gives you the true bread, the genuine bread, the bread that endures to everlasting life. He is saying, labor not. Even God is saying, I'm not going to labor continually in giving you heavenly bread. I'm going to give you the true bread, that genuine bread that you need for your, for your spiritual and eternal well-being. This is the meaning, I believe, of this true bread from heaven. This true bread is revealed here in verses 32 and 30 through 34. He said, Moses did not give you the bread, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. Give us this bread always. This is what we want. I want to point out something here in verse 33. For the bread of God is He who comes down. In other places here in this passage it says, um, For I came down. Uh, Let me see. I did not make a note of where that is. But here uh, he says, The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And this is where I would again like to make the application that if you have partaken of this bread, it is still coming down for you. You understand that the bread from heaven is still comes down from, from heaven for you. It comes down for me. We, we find our strength as we feed on Christ, as we meditate on Christ, as we Pursue Christ. It is still for us today. Believers, brothers and sisters, we we need Christ as much as we have. I I speak from experience. I I have a great need for this bread which comes down. It, It continues to come down from heaven. And it gives life to me. It gives life to you as you feed on it. But listen, if you've never taken part of this bread, then your hunger is, such, is, a, is of such a, a great need. For instance, as we go on in verse 35, here in verse 35, Jesus identifies this true bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, never hungering and never thirsting is, is the, means the same thing as we now have peace with God. There's no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no hunger, no lack, no thirst. You, you are 
you are in this place of, and we'll, as we look at the last section, here is what he means by never hungering and never thirsting, because he never loses any of us. But we do have a hunger and a need for substance and, and, and partaking in Christ, even for fellowship, for sanctification. But in the area of justification where you are declared righteous with Him, you shall never again hunger or thirst in that way. He provides salvation once for all. It's an eternal work. You will never hunger or thirst in that manner again. But for us... To make this application of the bread which came down from heaven. This is our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. So, whenever he identified the true bread, notice what they said. In uh, verse 34, Lord, give us this bread. We want this bread. We want the bread which comes down from heaven and gives life to us. But once he identified the bread as himself, I am the bread of life, he says. It is me. It is, it is this person, he says, that's speaking to you. I am it. I am the bread. And then notice what he says in verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Whenever they understood that Jesus, that they must align themselves with Jesus Christ, then they were no longer interested in the bread which came down from heaven. Once they understood that, oh, he's talking about himself. He's, talking, he's making a claim here that we, that we must pursue him, that we must labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. We must... Seek to believe in Him. They were unwilling. They, they were complaining. They said, well, you know, we know where He came from. He didn't come down from heaven. But He did. And they said, is not this Jesus, in verse 42, the son of Joseph. We know where He's from. But they, they did not know the truth of where, he's, where He is from. He was... He was proposed to be the son of Joseph. He was not the son of Joseph. And so, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger. And he who believes in me. And notice in verse 35, the coming to him is the same as the believing in him. If you believe in him, you will come to Him. If you believe in Christ, you will move to His side. If you believe in Christ, you will move in His direction. You will come to Him. He makes no distinction there between the coming and the believing. He shall never hunger, and he who believes in Me shall never thirst. Verse 36, we have an indictment again for those who were listening. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. And this is, this is the problem. Seeing is not believing. Rather, it is believing and then you will see. You see, 
It is first believing, and then your eyes are open to the, to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. We have a beautiful, wonderful Savior here, but He says, You have seen me, and yet do not believe. And notice, as we, as we move down through verse 37 through 40, this is the heart and soul of this passage. He says, you do not believe. You see me, yet you don't believe. But he says, I am not in despair about this. I am not in dis- I'm not discouraged about this. Because I know that all that the Father gives me will come to me. Everyone that... And this is the doctrine of election. That everyone whom the Father gives to the Son and has given, I believe, in eternity past, He will ultimately come to me. He will ultimately come to me. And notice that He must come in time. He must come in time. This is the will of Him in verse 40 who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life and I will raise Him in the last day. What, what you have here, all that the Father gives me, they will ultimately come to me. And the one who... So there's a, a bit of a contrast there in, verse, in, in the beginning of verse 37. All and then the personal one. That everyone who comes to me is now a personal treasure in Christ, and in, in, is now a personal commitment from Christ. You know, we hear this term. Let me let me stick my neck out. We hear this term of. Well, he or she made a commitment to the Lord. Let me ask you, who is making a commitment where here? You know who's making a commitment here? It is Christ Jesus, our Savior, who is making a commitment that all that the Father gives to me, I will not lose any. I will receive him. I will by no means, I will certainly not cast him out. Why? Because God has set His seal on Him, you see. It is, He has set His seal on Christ Jesus, and Christ and and God have made a covenant, if you will, that all that the Father will give to me will come to me, and and it is entrusted to me by my Father that when they come to me, I will receive them. I will by no means cast them out. And so all that the Father gives me, I will receive, he says. And Christ here is making that commitment. He says, and notice as we go down through here, that of all that the Father has given him, Christ will not lose a one. Brothers and sisters, I believe in the security of the believers because of John. 
chapter 6, verses 37 through 40. And we, we, have to, we have to work through this doctrine, this, this mighty doctrine of election, that there's a hidden purpose in God's, in God's will that we do not understand. Notice how many times that we see about the will, the will, the will here. I want to point that out to you. For I have... Come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of Him who sent me. Notice verse 39 begins this way. This is the will of the Father who sent me. Verse 40 says, and this is the will of Him who sent me. You see, we have made a big deal about man's free will. But it is, the Bible here is teaching, this passage teaching us, it is about God's will. It is about God's will. Actually, he goes further in the back end of this chapter and makes a statement that has, has ruffled the feathers of man for many years. Verse 65. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. You see, this is a hard saying. And it is a hard saying. And it is right here. Verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples, those who had professed to follow him, they left. Because it undoes, it undoes man's high opinion of himself. It undoes man's opinion of his ability that I can come when I choose. I can come if I want. I can live. I can do this. I can do that. I can. I can. I can. Listen. You cannot. With man it is impossible. But with God all things are possible. And so Jesus says the invitation is extended to all here. Listen. The invitation is here. It says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And if you choose not to come to me, I will still be glorified as Savior because I will save people. Because we have agreement, me and my Father have an agreement that he will give them to me. And when he gives them to me, I will not cast them out. I will certainly not cast them out. By no means, he says. For I have come down from heaven to do my Father's will He who sent me, I'm here to do His will. Verse 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing. All nothing. All losing nothing. But should raise it up at the last day. And the thought here is that 
Jesus says, I will raise it up at the last day. The culmination of our salvation is going to be at the last day. We will then fully comprehend all that Jesus Christ has done for us. Right now, we are by faith believing in the resurrection. That if we die, He will raise us up again. And I think this is part of what He says, I will lose nothing. Your body will even be restored. You will be made new. It's not just that your soul will be redeemed, but your body will, de- will decay and the dust. And I will not even lose that. But I will raise it back up again. See, in Christ, we can lose nothing. We can lose nothing. And notice that again and again he says, this is the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me. Go back to John 17 in this high priestly prayer. You have this same thought given. All those that you've given to me, I have lost nothing. No one saving the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. John 17, 2. I want to catch that one. He says, John 17, As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. There you have, the, the, again, the giving of those who are set apart for eternal life to as many as you have given him. They have given to the Son. And verse 12 then. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me I have kept, and none of them is lost except a son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Well, in closing, I want to point out that last verse here in verse 40. Verse 40, and now here as we were looking at verse 37, 38, and 39, that was, the, that was the God side of our salvation. But in verse 40, there's now this other side. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son, that everyone who comprehends the Son, it, is, it, it, it means more than just seeing with the eyes because that's what they were seeing. It means to comprehend as the, the men of Sychar. We no longer believe because of your word, but we have heard him ourselves, you see. It's that comprehension. We now know that to be true, what you were saying, this Samaritan woman. But we know more now because we've heard him ourselves. And that is the concept here that everyone who sees the Son, do you know him do you have you heard of him have you saw him work in your life do you trust him everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and i will raise him up at the last day so everyone who is the father gives to the son will ultimately do exactly verse 40 the elect will see and believe You see, it's not, the elect are never saved outside of 
coming to Christ. They, it is the will of Him who sent Jesus that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him, it is those and only those that will inherit everlasting life. And so you have here the human responsibility. And this goes back to verse 27. That you do not labor for the meat which perishes, but labor that you might see Him. Labor for that. Seek Him while He may be found. Labor for the food which endures to everlasting life. And this is the will of Him, everyone who sees Him and believes. This is your calling, all of us here, believing or unbelieving, that you would labor to see Him. Give yourself to pursuit of Him. Study the Scriptures about Him. And then God will bring the blessing. God will bring the blessing. Whosoever will may come. This is how it looks though when they come. They are taught of Christ. And they believe, they trust in Him. And it is those who have everlasting life. And He says again, I will raise Him up at the last day. So brothers and sisters, as we are here, if you are believing in Christ, remember that this is your daily bread. This is the daily bread that you and I need for our spiritual lives. This is the bread I need that I might have meaning, that I might not hunger and thirst, that I would find my strength, my sustenance in Christ. Indeed, my prayer is for us. Give us this day, dear Lord, our daily bread. Let's, uh, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father, as we consider this wonderful passage, this incredible passage of Your, of your initiative, of Your will, Father God, I pray that You would bless this Word to our lives, that it would humble us again. And it would set us down where we need to be set down to. Father, we pray that You would bless this bread, this, the, the bread of the Lord Jesus Christ, this, this bread from heaven, this, the bread of God, Your bread. That You would bless it to our hearts, each one here. If it's the first time that we have partaken, Lord, I pray that You would bless that. And then for us who have partaken, Father, I pray that You would let it sink into our hearts that we must partake daily. And Lord, we just thank You for the salvation that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.